and welcome to another episode of Don't Filter Feelings. I'm Yinka and on this podcast we have conversations about issues that matter with people who have stories to share. In today's Don't Filter Feelings we are exploring racial unconscious bias and its depiction in a special episode of Hollyoaks. Before we start I think it's important that we all understand exactly what unconscious bias means. So unconscious bias happens when someone favours or is against one group of people over another without being aware of it and in a way that's usually considered unfair. In this episode, we explore unconscious bias through the lens of race and gender as viewers follow Martine, played by Kelly Bryan, and Grace, played by Tamara Wall, on a journey to a hospital appointment to have a lump check. Martine experiences bias throughout the day and as a result, she misses out on that appointment. Today on Don't Filter Feelings, I am joined by Richard Blackwood, who plays Felix Westwood, Andrea Ali, who plays Celeste, and the writer of the episode, Carla Marie Sweet. We're going to get into it. Uh, hi, guys. Hello. Hi. The first question that we ask every guest on Don't Filter Feelings is, how are you feeling right now? So, Andrea, do you want to tell us how you're feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. Feeling really optimistic. Um, feeling really positive about what's to come this year um, and yeah, just waiting for life to get back to a little bit of normality again. But yeah, overall staying positive, so I'm happy. We are hitting the, well, we're past like the year mark of when the pandemic came to Britain. Carla, how are you feeling today? I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm a, I'm a little bit tired because um, I've been doing a, a writer's room recently and part of the team is based out on the west coast of the states so we've been starting late and finishing late and um it just means my schedule feels a little bit topsy-turvy because I'm definitely more of a morning person so yeah a little bit tired but grateful and looking forward to summer I think I'm with you on that one and Richard how are you feeling um I'm okay I'm okay I'm I, I guess I'm just kind of taking it a day at a time I think that we've all pressed the reset button with this whole lockdown thing and you know the pandemic and everything and you know, 2020 uh, has been a tough year, I think, for all of us. So I think now we're just trying to, yeah. you know, come through the other side and see where we're at, if that makes sense. So speaking about the episode in question, I, I had a watch of it. And I and I have to say that I think that it it's one of those subjects that, well, I think Hollyoaks does really well anyway in taking something that is so current and trying to translate it in a way that viewers and people who aren't necessarily on the Twitter timeline can digest it. How did it feel for you guys to kind of like be a part of an episode that tries to tackle something as massive as unconscious bias? Okay, so I'm just going to start with a little bit. I'm just going to say I wasn't sure what was going to happen when I was told we were doing unconscious bias and then we sat and we had a read through of the script and it just took me away. And that's down to Carla. So that's why I said, I'm going to start a little bit and then throw it to Carla because the genius behind it. And it was such incredible writing and it was done in a way that was so raw. And I felt like it literally was so accurate to the point where I was like, okay, I'm now even more excited for it to come out and for it to bring up discussions because I think that's what it will do. I think it will bring discussions out of people. I think it will cause people to stop and look at themselves, to look at the environments they've been in, to do with unconscious bias, because I think people immediately go, 
okay, well, it's either black or white, it's either racist or it's not. But then there's a space that sits in between that, which is the unconscious bias, which is which are the, the microaggressions, which are the experiences that black people as a whole feel. And it was articulated so well that you have no choice but to look at that and go, right, I have to now think about whether or not I have unconscious bias or whether or not I've been in a situation where maybe I've been unconsciously biased towards someone without realising it because it's being highlighted so blatantly in these episodes. And it was so powerful. So I was like, I want to throw that over to Carla because I'm I'm so intrigued. In throwing it to you, Carla, how do you approach a subject like this? Like where, where do you start? Ultimately, when you write something like this, you're trying to kind of help an audience who doesn't understand that unconscious bias is a thing, realise that unconscious bias is a thing. And so you can't necessarily kind of shout it in their faces. You kind of have to sort of, yeah, spin a narrative that enables them to see quite clearly how much it affects our daily life, because it does affect our daily life. Even before I, I go to the Tesco Express on the corner, I think about what I need to wear and how I need to style my hair and what earrings are okay for me to wear so that I don't get followed around by security. You know, when I go to a club, again, I have to think very carefully about what I have to wear, you know, so that the bouncer doesn't let me in because he thinks I'm going to start a fight. You know, there's all these kind of stereotypes that are so ingrained in our culture. And there are so many of us, particularly as black women, who feel like a lot of the time we can't speak up about things because of this stereotype of the angry black woman. And so we're, we're constantly having to check ourselves and constantly having to prove ourselves. And that is the day-to-day reality. So the reason why we have this episode taking Martine through her day is to kind of, yeah, like send that message home. Like this is the day-to-day. It doesn't just happen once in a while. It's every day. I think when you take something like a concept like this, where you get two characters and you give a side-by-side comparison of experiences that should be pretty similar but the experiences and the way that they're treated are completely and utterly different I think it tells a truth that otherwise wouldn't have been shown if you stand at a lectern and you wag your finger and point at people because people don't like Mm. to be lectured at but if they're experiencing a day in the life of a darker skinned black woman in comparison to, to a white character you can't tell somebody that their truth isn't real For you, Richard, how did you come at this? Because, of course, you're the guilty one of the strong black women trope in the episode. So how did you tackle this? You know, it's really weird because obviously all those microaggressions that were shown in the episode, I've lived through the micro, but the previous 10 years or 15 years, it wasn't micro at all. It was just in your face. So I think it's, it's, it's nice that Carla was able to kind of also teach me the new way that people are now showing their racism. But one of the things that did stand out to me was I'm guilty of calling black women strong black queens. And, you know, and I always use that term as a term of endearment Mm. because, because a part of me, a strong part of me knows the struggles of a black woman, but obviously vicariously through my mum and my sister and family, because I've never, I, I don't know what that is firsthand. Interesting that you can't leave Grace till she's got the all clear. And you know that I am going through the exact same thing. I mean, what is it, Felix, that you're happy for me to just go through it by myself? Oh, it's, it's, you know how Grace is. She's, 
Just a bit of a princess. Needs looking after, but you, you you're a strong, independent black queen. Number one, why is it that women like me always have to be strong? And women like her can be looked after. And number two, Grace Black is an ex-gangster. She ain't no princess. Tcha. When Kelly's character says, why do I always have to be that character? Even I kind of, and, and not, not even in the filming of it, is when I watched it back, it made me go, wow. I, I've never really stopped to even think like what that pressure must feel like. Because what I'm essentially saying is that you're not allowed to show vulnerability. You're not allowed to show that maybe a situation has hurt you or has troubled you or irked you or whatever term you want to use. Because it doesn't adhere to being a strong black woman, a strong black queen. So by saying that line, I'm also guilty of taking away the woman's right to be vulnerable. But it's only when you actually say, when you're able to come away from it and watch it back and you go, wow, I, I never, I never ever thought that I was also, as a black man, contributing to the pressures that a black woman already, a woman of colour already has to face. So I thought that was interesting for me. I I didn't grow up my entire life here in the UK. I am from the UK originally. I was born here in Manchester. And then when I was 12, we emigrated to the States. And I grew up then for eight years in Georgia. And you know, I, I saw a lot of extremely overt racism and a, a sense of pride almost in racism. And when you think about the fact that, you know, a, a black man and a white woman or, you know, a black woman and a white man weren't even legally allowed to be married until I think it was 1969. It's really recent. It's really recent. And so what Richard kind of describes with um, kind of having to learn about unconscious bias because you know he's he's grown up seeing racism as as more of an overt thing I kind of had that experience as well coming back from the states you know moving to London um in my late teens you know almost kind of slipping into this thought of like oh it, it's not racist here and then realizing oh it is it's just it's just hidden I think it's really challenging because when something is extremely obvious, if it's, you know, a slur being thrown at you or physical violence, you can you can define it and you can put your finger on it and you can point and say that is exactly what I'm talking about. Whereas when it is unconscious as well, it's almost as if you have to convince people that you're not making it up. So it's that it's just that experience of the everyday, like what you were saying about going to Tesco and if you're going on a night out, like having to navigate while wearing a hat that everybody tells you doesn't exist, but you can feel the weight of it and you can you know that this is what defines you. For you, Andrea, how how do you come about this sort of storyline? How do you navigate it? It's tough because like you said, these are our everyday experiences that we're having to play out on TV. But there is an element of you having to give over to the character and not let your real self spill into it, if that makes sense, and sort of let the character lead. So there are scenes that happen later on with Celeste where she addresses the fact that Perry calls Martine aggressive. Tell me, where in the nurse's handbook does it say to sort out an argument, you help patients that look like Grace and you throw out patients that look like Martine? 
You do see the difference between the two, right? Or do you want me to spell it out for you? Wait. Look, I know that you're not suggesting that Perry treated Martine differently just because she's black. You're right. I'm not suggesting it. I'm straight up saying it. In reading how that was dealt with, that was something that brought up all kinds of feelings in me as well because I was like, as a young black woman who is faced with either unconscious bias or, as you said, things that that are directly racist, you always have to take a step back and wonder how the best way to approach that situation is, which then makes you feel bad because then I'm like, I don't get to just be angry about this. I don't get to just be upset about this. I don't get to just have the reaction that I want to have because I have to think about the repercussions of my anger and how I will then be perceived for responding to something that I have the human right to respond to. And so in reading that scene and again, how amazingly it was written, it was great how the director sort of, because I I didn't know, I didn't have an idea how I wanted to go in and play that scene. I was open to suggestions. I was open to kind of, right, let's just feel it in the moment and see what happens. And initially I did go in there and I did sort of have more of a, it was a firm but a calm approach. And the director was like, I really want you to give it because you're upset. You're upset not because she'd called Martine, who is your mother, aggressive, but because as a consequence of that, it meant that she missed her hospital appointment. And in missing these hospital appointments, we then see that there's a delay in her then getting the help and the treatment that she needs which then causes the condition to worsen. So you can see how that one situation has a knock-on effect. And in then feeling those emotions, it then came out in more of a sort of passionate way. And then we got the emotion that I felt that, I felt that we really needed in the scene. But then as an actor, it made me then stop and go, when this comes out on screen, is there going to be some sort of a backlash of, Oh, well, here we go. This is, it's just black people being upset at, at nothing and absolutely nothing. But I thought, but that's what we need. Again, that's, that's what we need. We need it to be blatant. We need it to be put out there. We need it to cause that discussion. Do you know what I mean? We need people to go, but no, because we can see what that character was doing by labeling Martine as aggressive. And we can see that actually it does need to be called out when it's being said. It was a lot. I think it brought up a lot of, feelings because again like I said you're having to separate yourself from the character and sort of let the character do their thing but it can be difficult because these are things that we deal with every day so you really are able to empathize with the character so yeah I'm I'm really just honestly I'm I'm so excited to see what the entire week of the episodes look like when they come out and everything is really put together and I feel like the story's really being told from start to finish it sounds like it can be quite exhausting as well. And I think for you as well, Richard, because, you know, you you have to put, of course, all of your all into these characters and then you are performing in the scene. But these are real issues that you, especially as, as a dark skinned black woman and, and a black man deal with. And then they say cut. And then it's that. But you you're still black. When they when they say cut. So how do you kind of navigate that? Does it change the way that you approach things Richard or or do you just have to get your your head in the game the thing is I use my time in the business and my years of just I guess gaining knowledge and stuff I'm able to see things that maybe um younger people can't yet and I don't mean that in a passionate way 
every 10 years there's a shift. From what I can remember in from the 70s to the 80s, but from the 80s to the 90s, there's a, a real big shift. But what happens every 10 years is that the older people can see the progression and, and the togetherness, and, it, and it's a scary thing for them. Because you have to remember that white people that have those views, those racial views, it's not just because you're black and you're different. It's because we have a power over you if you don't feel that you're significant as a human being. Now we're talking about microaggression and we do a program to challenge the new way racism is now brought to us. And what we're doing is we're saying to the uninformed, wow, have you ever thought that plasters are for normal skin types, but it's actually just for white skin type? Now, there are people within the white community that will go, wow, I didn't even check that, right? Which is right. So I kind of look at it like the devil's going to lose eventually because yeah. you can't unlearn something. You can't, no matter, you, like if, if there are racist white people out there one day hoping that it will be white supremacy again, it can never happen. Just logically it can't. And if anything, what it should be is that for the white people that maybe were naive to it, that don't have those views as such, it's time for you to really get on board because the train's moving and it will leave without you. That's why I think that things like this and, and putting it into entertainment and addressing issues in ways that aren't just news programmes and aren't just feeding people it is really clever because it challenges people in a way when they're at home on the sofa with a cuppa and then they're like, whoa, got in oh this you know like and it's sort of things that they wouldn't necessarily think of so Carla just just a quick one because I feel like a lot of the pressure as a writer is on you like of course the director has to do a good job and yes the actors have to deliver the scene but ultimately the concept comes from what you've put down on the paper how do you ensure that you're telling the story right how do you know that you, you you've hit it I think ultimately what you're doing when you write a story like this is you're starting a conversation or you're joining a conversation that maybe some people have been having, but unfortunately isn't a widely enough had conversation at this stage. And just to, to pick up on what Andrea was saying earlier, we have been tiptoeing around these conversations, you know, as black women or women of black heritage, we have been, and men who are black as well, We've been forced to tiptoe around these conversations for a really long time now for fear of matching up to the stereotype of being an angry, an angry black woman. And it's really frustrating and it's really unfair to not just be able to ask people to check themselves. You know, that's, all, that's literally all we're doing. We're just saying, how, how can you reflect on your behavior, things you might have said, maybe even things you might have thought, and consider how you might be better. You know, when, when I wrote this, I wanted to write something that started to change the conversation and started to center the stories of the people on the receiving end of this kind of behavior so that those who are guilty of this kind of behavior could kind of go, hmm, maybe, maybe the conversation needs to change and maybe I need to think about what I might have done to make a black person or any person of color feel uncomfortable or feel marginalized or feel less than me. Yeah, and I think it's it's a really important conversation to be having. I think that's such a good point as well, just sort of centering the conversation in a different way because ultimately 
one of the things that I noticed, and especially with with this conversation on Hollyoaks, is you know all of the microaggressions happen, and you know you're getting called aggressive and all this sort of stuff. But the issue is still the issue. So you you might approach something, and you're like, oh well, this, you know, blah blah blah. And then they're like, you're this and you're that. And then they're the victim and everything's going on. But you you still need to go to your doctor's appointment. And the the, the actual point of, of what, what everything is, the whole reason that this has come about is still the issue. But the conversation gets deflected and then you become the villain um, as like a, a, a black woman or a person of colour. When, in fact, the crux of the problem still exists outside and amongst all of these microaggressions mm. so I just think it's such it is such a clever way to do it and especially showing direct comparisons I think with, with that with what you did there Carla it's like it almost makes it undeniable as in this is what this is what the experiences are did you find that challenging to to write that I found it challenging in the sense that I'm not a white woman, so I, I haven't had the privilege of moving through the world as a white woman, but I do have access to white privilege because my mum is a white woman. And I think that the interesting thing about being mixed race is there's a level of responsibility that kind of comes with it. And it's a really interesting dynamic because you can grow up having enough racist experiences to understand what it is to be on the receiving end of racism. But then at the same time, I have enough white privilege to actually have a voice and, you know, do something about it, which is why it felt like, and why it's always felt like telling these stories is so important. And the great thing about Hollyoaks is its audience is so broad. The fans of that show who watch it regularly uh, hopefully going to tune in and kind of go on that journey with those characters. It might be able to change their minds about this, these things. So yeah, write, writing both sides of it was a tricky balance to strike, but there's definitely, as I've been growing up, you know, times where I've thought, why do I always buy fabric plasters instead of waterproof plasters? Well, because the fabric plasters are a little bit darker, so they're closer to my skin tone, so they don't stand out as much. And wouldn't it be nice if they had waterproof plasters that were actually my skin tone or even darker skin tones? And I remember like when um, there there was like a, a, a new brand of nude underwear that came out that was specifically for women of color. And it was like, revolutionary at the time but it's like why didn't that exist before you know there's all those little things and I think the only way to kind of write the white woman's perspective was to think about all the things that we as people of color and as black women lack the the things that we don't get to have the amount of times I've bought a magazine uh with a free sample in or when you know subscription boxes beauty subscription boxes became all the rage and I ordered a few of them and every time I got them I was like well this isn't going to show up on my skin tone so that was a waste of money I think it's kind of um getting into the minutiae of those daily experiences you know as I said before and trying to kind of imagine what it might be like on the flip side and all the times where I've kind of looked at a white friend who you know, is gleefully pulling a sample out of a magazine, knowing that it will work on her skin and thinking, that'd be nice. <laughs> I can see um, Andrea nodding vigorously. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just, it takes you back. And it's such a shame that there are so many experiences amongst 
black women and, and women of color and people of color in general that have to become humorous. Do you know what I mean? We have to, mm-hmm. you have to laugh because if you don't laugh, every day will be miserable. Every day will be depressing. And it's that harsh reality of it where it's like little things. Like I remember when I moved up to Liverpool and this was before the pandemic and you know, we've got the self-service checkouts and I was bagging up my things and the security guard behind me walked up to me and said, can you remember to pay for your bag? <laughs> but immediately I looked to my left and there were two white customers that were doing the exact same thing that I was doing and he didn't have a conversation with them. And it, it stunned you. It stunned you. And I think there's always this kind of idea that you have in your mind where it's like, if I'm ever faced with racism, I'm going to put my cape on and I'm going to tell him this. I'm going to, but you don't. Sometimes yeah. it takes you by such surprise in the moment. It does. But you kind of have to take a second to go, I don't want to, I don't want to react to this in the wrong way. Is this to do with race or is this not? Because you haven't said anything to them, but you said it to me. Do you know what I mean? And so then yeah. exactly like what you That's said, the hardest thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. When there's that question mark over it, it's like, is, yeah. is this, is it? Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like all yes. this, and then you start reaching a point where you kind of are able to start to connect some dots. Like I used to think, why is it that I've had so many people when I've been in restaurants where I get up to like go to the toilet and on the way back, somebody, somebody tries to give you that order. Right. And I'm like, what? So now I really think about what I wear when I go to restaurants because like I have to make sure I don't look like a waiter because people think just because she's kind of vaguely ethnic looking, oh, she, she's a waiter. But you're the help. Yes. <laughs> I think for me, I, I, I don't know. Uh, when there's a question mark, I, I know the answer is yes. Even if mm. I don't react or if I don't, you know, put my, my, my finger up and start like shouting at somebody. If I get the gut instinct, because I believe in gut feelings. And I think that as a person of colour, when you have been a uh, party to you know, aggression, you kind of know, like, even if it's just as simple as heating up your food in the office microwave or having a new nice weave to work and people want to be asking you stupid questions, you know, it's, it's, it's just that you kind of, a lot of the time you have to take things with a pinch of salt because I, I also think that if you react to every single microaggression and if you p- pull up every single person, you will spend your day arguing and you won't get anything done because it's it's kind of comes part and parcel with life. And that's why I think that this series of episodes is so good because it shows you just how exhausting it is to go through the world when at every turn or every other turn, there is something that reminds you that you are other. Yeah. And I think the important thing that I want anybody who is black or of black heritage or a person of color who is is watching this episode to think about is to remind themselves not to internalize all of this because you know it's really easy when when you don't get a job you know you will write for or you know when you get weird looks from the security guy in the shop it's really easy to think i'm just scum or whatever or I'm just ugly or I didn't deserve the job or all these things and so as much as this is an episode for white people to look at and think you know or or anybody who might be guilty of unconscious bias to look at and think how can I be better I think it's also for people who are of black heritage or of people of color to watch and go this is going on I can rest assured it's going on 
And hopefully there's going to be a sea change and I don't need to internalize this because it's not about me. It's about a systemic societal issue. I think it rounds off kind of nicely in terms of what Richard was saying earlier about um, it being shifts every decade or so. And this being in the middle of another culture shift, which is why I think feels like it's on fire at the moment before a change kind of comes. No, it's the truth. Like you will see it through your lifetime. What it shows is that, and it sounds horrible to say this, but I guess this is for the audience that may be, white audience that maybe have it in their family. And hopefully this program brought out questions that you need to ask yourself or ask people around you. Because, because you've got to think about it. It's a, it's a calculated move to say to a woman that's standing up for herself, a black woman, you're being highly aggressive right now. I mean, men get it too, black men, you know. But let's say a woman, a woman stands up and says, actually, you know, I, sorry, I was in the front. And a woman goes, sorry, you're being really aggressive. It's such a weird thing. But you've seen videos from America to here to wherever. And it's always, that's the go-to move when you go, wow. So is there an email that's been sent out? Because how comes white people that use that seem to know that's the one to use? That you're being aggressive or to cry. So then what it highlights for me is that there's a subconscious thing of knowing that I've got a defense for when you start to stand up because I don't want you to stand up. Does it make sense? Because it, it, it's, too, it's, too, it's too common for it to be uncommon. How is it that everybody knows to use this move? And this is, as I say, this is why it's good that we're, we're this program is out and Hollyoaks, you know, kudos to Hollyoaks because, you know, ever since the death of George Floyd, Hollyoaks came to myself and Kelly and wanted to be in front of it. And in actual fact, before George Floyd got killed. So, so I always give them respect for that. They put their neck on the chocking block because we did, obviously, the podcast where we talked about racism we might have experienced at work. And we were allowed to talk about things that we might have experienced at Hollyoaks. You don't really see other shows doing this. If you think about it, I can't think of one where they're actually addressing... You know, they you know, they got yourself, but they got Adam, who was a black director, to also direct the episode. So it was like it wasn't it was a a, a woman of colour, then it was a, a a man of colour going directing, so it wasn't told through the eyes of like, yeah, we're gonna try and tell your story. It was us telling our story on a mainstream show. So that's, you don't see, you don't see, I'm telling you, you do not see that. You don't. And when I, when I pitched this storyline, the reason how, how that pitch even came about was because Brian Kirkwood, who was our exec producer at the time, went round the table and said, I want each of you to go round this table and tell me what it is you're worried about right now. And each person, you know, and we talked about all manner of different things and, I think it was kind of a revolutionary thing that he did then when he went round that table and asked us all what we were worried about because we knew, we all knew that we were going to get some great kind of social issue driven storylines out of that conference. And we did, you know, they, they've really kind of let me run with this storyline, which I massively appreciate because, you know, here we all are now and yeah, the episode is made. Yeah. And I think even just to add to the end of that, I think it is amazing because Race is not a trend. Black Lives Matter is not just a trend for now. It was not just a thing for 2020. Now 2020 is over. 
it's done. And it's very important to note that because these are things that we are still dealing with and we still do face and we still do have concerns about, even if it's not hitting mainstream media or it's not in the news or it's not on social media or not on your timeline, these are our realities and these are the things that we have to live with every day. And it's important to use a platform and to use our responsibility on a show like Hollyoaks to put that out there and to show our viewers that yes, you're watching us and yes, we are the characters that you love so much, but we do have to touch on the realities of the world that you are living in. And as much as I know we could all use escapism and that is wonderful and it's fantastic. These are things that actually are happening around you every day and you can't ignore and you have to pay attention to if you want to be part of that change. Do you know what I mean? And I think for the people who are and have always been amazing and have always supported us and supported the show, we'll watch it and go amazing. I'm happy. And for the people that feel uncomfortable watching it means that maybe there's some work that needs to be done there. Sometimes I think you have to make people feel uncomfortable to incite that change and to make people sit and go, I'm not just going to watch my 20 minutes or so of Hollyoaks and and feel happy and then kind of walk away from this feeling like, oh, that's a great episode. No, I need to watch this and, and something needs to, I need to feel moved by this so that moving forward when I'm in and I go out into the my everyday and out into the real world and I'm around black people and people of colour, I might remember that episode and I might remember and think, okay, I remember when this character weaponized her tears. I shouldn't do that. I didn't realise that was wrong before, but now I do because I saw I saw that on TV and now I know that's wrong. And that's also what we want is the beauty of grace is is grace to kind of realize that not everybody has malicious intent and not everybody realizes the unconscious bias that they have within themselves and I think that's why it is unconscious bias because not everybody realizes that they have it within them but for us to use this platform to highlight it in people to say I didn't know that before but I know it now and now I know better I want to do better moving forward so yeah same with you Richard I'm behind and and I just want to say thank you to Hollyoaks for even putting this out there and and giving us a platform to be able to do this. I think Grace is um, the beauty of her, the beauty of Grace in this particular storyline is she is a vehicle for the audience. You know, we get we get to be Grace as we go through her day. You know, that part of the audience that maybe doesn't understand that unconscious bias is so prevalent gets to live in Grace's shoes and kind of not be aware of how you know unconscious bias is affecting people like Martine and I think you know credit to to Adam and his amazing direction because the scene that really stood out for me the most in this episode was the scene just after Grace and Perry have gone into the hospital and Martine is left standing outside the hospital in, in, in the cold and we see her standing there so isolated and I think a big thing that I want to achieve from this episode and just from conversations that are continued to be had outside of this episode and in in the larger society is that far less black women have to feel like they're being left out in the cold. Well on that note thank you guys so much for joining me on this podcast to Richard, Andrea, Carla thank you for joining us today and I think most importantly thank you for truly not filtering your feelings. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 
Once again, a huge thank you to Carla, Andrea and Richard and thank you for listening. If you want more Don't Filter Feelings, then you can search the hashtag or check out Hollyoaks on your social feeds. And if you've been affected by anything you've heard on this podcast or seen on Hollyoaks, then there's help and support at channel4.com slash support. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a rating and review the episode wherever you listen.